0: Gospel of Matthew and last night we talked a little bit about uh, we had our third series and as you remember we were talking about all I want for Christmas and the first one was joy the second one was peace and last night we talked about forgiveness and I just want to review a little bit about what we shared with last night and in Matthew chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 I just want to refocus our minds on this. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, A lot of parents, when they have children, they have the opportunity to name their kids. And some of you go through books and books and books trying to figure out what to name your children. Uh, Joseph and Mary didn't have to worry about that because God took care of it. He said basically that you will name him Jesus. And I just want us to know that as we looked at all we want for Christmas is joy, peace, forgiveness, and today we're going to look a little bit at hope. Remember, Joseph didn't know ...what was going on with his fiancée, Mary. All he knew that she was pregnant out of wedlock... ...which was not a very popular thing in that day and age. And he had yet to hear the angel Gabriel say to him... ...for nothing is impossible with God. That came later. And so to Joseph's credit, he didn't judge his wife. He listened to what God said. And the baby was born, as we read in the account... But it's interesting to me that this Jesus that was born, a couple things about his his ministry, I guess. First of all, he had an ordinary name. A lot of people think the name Jesus was this special name that was given to him. Well, the name does mean Jehovah is our salvation. So it is special in that regard. But one scholar tells us that there was several... 20, 30, 40 people in the day named Jesus. It was a very common name. If you go down the south of the border, you'll know a lot of people that are named Jesus, Jesus. Uh, so the name in and of itself is not all that special, but what it represents is. In Hebrews 4.15 tells us that when he came down and he took on this ordinary name that was a common name of the day, Hebrews 4.15 says that he had the ability to sympathize with our weaknesses. To sympathize with our weaknesses. When When people referred to the Christ in Scripture, more than not, they just referred to him as Jesus. Over 600 some times. Now there's on occasions he's referred to as Jesus the Christ, or the Christ, or the chosen one, the anointed one. But more than not, they used his ordinary name. And more than than not, it's important to understand that that's exactly what it was, but it was what it represented that made it so special. Secondly, he had an extraordinary mission, Jesus did. And we see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 there, where it says his mission was, it says, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know what your mission in life is. A lot of guys write life missions and all that and, you know, purpose statements, all that kind of thing. Well, Jesus' purpose statement or his life mission was that he will save his people from their sins. Extraordinary mission. Common name, ordinary name, extraordinary mission. And I think that a lot of times we forget that that's exactly what Christ came to do. We get so caught up with the baby in the manger, we forgot that the baby grew up, and the baby lived, and the baby died on a cross called Calvary for our sins. Luke 2.30, when when Joseph and Mary later brought Jesus to the temple, there was a man named Simeon, and he came up to them, and in reference to Jesus, here's what he said in Luke 2.30, excuse me, it says, "...for my eyes have seen your salvation." When they looked at Christ, that's what they said. Right after that, Anna spoke about the child, and he said, the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. In Isaiah 43, 3, it says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, it's important to understand who Jesus was. Jesus was called the Savior. And when you call him the Savior, you're acknowledging just automatically that he is who he said he was. He is God. And that you need that forgiveness that he offers. We've seen that out of Isaiah, when we looked at that text the last couple of weeks, where it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord, Isaiah 61, is on me because the Lord has anointed me, to preach the good news to the poor. We talked about the joy of doing that. He sent me, it says, to bind up the brokenhearted. He's able to bring peace into people's lives. And then last night we looked at to proclaim the freedom for the captives. God offers us forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate his birth. It's not just another birthday, beloved. It's the birthday of the God-man, the Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And if that birthday hadn't happened, we would not have salvation as we know it today. But he came to proclaim freedom for the captives. You know, you look around the world today, you look around our society, and you can't help but see how people are captivated, held in bondage by so many different forms of sin and selfishness. And Christ came to proclaim freedom over those bondage, over those chains. Well, today, I want to look at the reference to hope. And that's in the latter half of that verse, Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it says. That's where we get the idea of hope. And the day of vengeance of our God. When it says they're proclaiming freedom or releasing from darkness, that comes out of uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10, where it says, consecrate the 15th year, the 50th year, and proclaim liberty throughout the land of the inhabitants. And it's called the year of what? Jubilee. And every 50 years, the nation of Israel was to experience this freedom and this forgiveness of all their debts. Wouldn't that be good? That sounds good, huh? I mean, think about it. Every 50 years, your debts are wiped out. Some of you are saying, well, I could use that every 10 years or every five years. (laughs) Whatever it would be, that would be a blessing. And during that year, the people, the property, possessions were to go back to the original owners, no matter what. Amazing time. And it's a picture of God's Forgiveness of God's freedom that he gives to us. Now, the one thing you may not know about Christ... ...is there's different offices in Scripture. There's the office of a prophet. There's the office of a priest. There's the office of a king. That word Messiah, the Christ, it means anointed. It means that God has chosen him, his only son... To provide salvation. And in the Old Testament, those three offices were primarily the prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the only person, beloved. He's the only person in history who has been anointed to all three offices. As a prophet, he preaches the good news of great joy to the entire world, the scripture says. As a priest, it tells us that he binds up the brokenhearted, by bringing peace into their lives. And as king, he proclaims, which only the king could do, freedom to the captives through forgiveness. You know, even in our own country, around Thanksgiving time, there's pardons that are given out, one for a turkey and other other, for other people, people that maybe were wrongly incarcerated. Whether you agree with the concept or not, those people are given a free pass. They're forgiven. And the point I want to, want you to get this morning is that Christ fulfilled all three of those he was prophet priest and king that's why he said that he came to preach the good news to the poor to proclaim freedom to the prisoners to proclaim recovery of the sight for the blind to release the oppressed that word oppressed it's you know I was watching football yesterday and some of those guys took some pretty hard hits And I thought, boy, I bet you they're going to be hurting after the game. They're going to be bruised. That's what this word means, oppressed. It's the same word as bruised. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 20, when he was quoting from the book of Isaiah. And he says this, a bruised reed he will not break. See, after a reed was bruised, in their culture, it was no good to anybody. You would just throw it out. But see, our Savior isn't that way. You may have had a hard life. You may have been beaten up. From beginning to end, God's not just going to throw you out. He wants to nurture you. He wants to release the oppression. He wants to apply salve to that bruise to to cause you to heal up so that you're even better than before. See, that's the kind of God that we have. God's not up there with a big stick ready to beat you over the head every time you step out of line. Don't get me wrong, sin grieves his heart, and it grieves his heart dearly. But when he says a bruised reed he will not break, that word break means to rend in pieces or just shatter, crack apart. And he's not going to do that. Psalm 147 3 says that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. When you stop and look at the life of Christ and his ministry, it doesn't take one very long to figure out that Christ was filled with compassion for hurting people. Another thing the Lord did is that when he proclaimed, it says there he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee, the year when all the debts were forgiven. Um, It's a time when you come to Christ, you have to understand that 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 jubilee begins. That your sin and your wretchedness is forgiven. And you're restored into your rightful place with God. And at the end of those verses in Isaiah, it says that he came to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God. You know, it's important to understand that Christ came as a little baby, as the Savior of the world. The second time he comes, he's not coming as a little baby. He's not even coming as Savior. He's coming as Judge. And you will have to answer to him. The Bible says clearly in John 3, 18, whoever believes in him, in the Christ, is not condemned. Have you ever been condemned for something? Have anybody ever just heaped condemnation on you? It doesn't feel very good. Whether you deserved it or not, it still doesn't feel good. It says, whoever believes in him not, or believes in him, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, you have to understand the Savior came, the Christ was born to save us from our sins. He came that we might know what true hope truly is. You know, we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. See, God and sinners reconciled. That's why Christ came. A lot of times people are looking for hope this time of year. I heard one guy say, yeah, I'm just, what do I want for Christmas? I just want a little hope. And somebody answered him and said, well, I could use hope not just at Christmas. I could use hope every day. And that's true of a a lot of us. And some of us wonder secretly in our hearts, is it really true that all our hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight? When you stop and think about Christmas, what do you think about? Do you think about family getting together? I mean, I praise God that you came out this morning to worship the Christ on his birthday. A lot of churches cancel services today. Why? Because of their families? Family trumps church. Family trumps Christ. It's a time to get together and open up packages. It's crazy. But that's the state in which we live. What's the definition of hope? When you stop and you think of hope, what is it that really, you know, pops into your mind? I mean, yesterday as I was watching the Niners, I was hoping they would win. Is that what hope is? My hopes were fulfilled. Or is it all, you know, the holiday is all about shopping, hoping you'll find the right gift. Hoping you'll make the perfect meal. Hoping you'll get the, the right gift. See, hope is not hard to find, beloved, but it's hard to define. It really is. Some equate hope with an optimistic feeling. Well, everything's just going to turn out. How many times have you said, well, I hope it's nice today, speaking of the weather. I hope I have a good day at work. It's just a general feeling that maybe something will be fulfilled in the positive. Reminds me of an illustration I read of these two guys back east. They went hunting, Larry and Elmer. And uh, they were out hunting in the woods, and these two guys weren't the slickest guys. They got lost. And Larry was trying to reassure his friend Elmer, and he turned to him and said, Don't lose hope, Elmer. It's going to be okay. All we have to do is shoot into the air three times. Stay right where we're at and just hope that someone will find us. So they shot into the air three times, but no one came. After a while, they tried again. Shot three more times into the air. But still, there was no response. No one came. And after a while, they tried again, but still no response. And they decided that, well, we're going to try it one more time. And Elmer said, I hope it works this time, because we're down to our last three arrows. (laughs) Now, if you've ever been hunting, you find the humor in that see it's easy to get hurt when our hopes are high. okay, some of you are just kidding it that's good. <laughs> and then they come crashing down to the ground, just like those arrows. Uh, last night I didn't sleep very well on and off. I, we were getting up at whenever the kids called at four or three thirty or whatever to watch them on the the uh, iChat thing to watch them open their gifts. So I'm thinking, well, I don't want to miss that. And then was thinking about the message, and I was thinking about all this stuff, and I, and I started thinking, I wonder what the kids are doing. And then Crystal called about 11.30, whatever, and was talking to Mbika and, and um, their time, and they were saying that, uh, so that was earlier our time, but they were saying that, yeah, the kids were already in bed asleep. And later, as I was pondering there in, in my bed, I couldn't really sleep, I was just sitting there, I'm thinking, boy, i I remember finding it hard to sleep on Christmas Eve. Just knowing that, you know, man, I've asked for this gift or that gift or whatever. I'm hoping it's under the tree. I just hope it's there. And I remember one time I had an aunt who was visiting. And I thought for sure she was going to give me something that I wanted. And all I got was a pair of like wool gloves. I just, and I just thought, this is not what I wanted from you. I didn't say that to her. I was gracious, of course. But see, sometimes our hopes are dashed. And sometimes after they're dashed, we feel kind of down. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes literally the heart sick. I'm here to tell you some of you today have lost hope. You've lost hope. But it's not because you didn't get that present you wanted. Maybe your life has just literally been decimated by disappointment. Maybe your expectations in life have just evaporated. I Came across a couple Bible-based definitions for hope. Hope is a future certainty grounded in a present reality. Hope is a future certainty grounded in a present reality. Here's another one. Hope is wishing for what God has already promised. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, 31, that strength is renewed for those that, what? Hope in the Lord. The word is more than just a wishful optimism. That word in the Old Testament means literally to bind something together, usually by twisting it. You've all seen a piece of rope, And when you take a piece of rope and you actually break it down, it's actually twine, twisted together. It refers to the process of making a rope, that Old Testament word for hope. Taking two strands of material, twisting them together, making them stronger. To hope means to wrap my problems together with God's promises. I love that. Hope means to wrap my problems together with God's promises promises. How many of us have problems? We all got problems, and if we're just going to focus on the problems, we're probably going to be a little uh, depressed, but you know what? God, in his infinite wisdom, knows what your problems already are, and he provided promises to get you out of there. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You hear that a lot of times at weddings, right? And they say, okay, male, female, the third strand is Christ. Well, that third strand is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He was the one who was born on Christmas morning, crucified on Good Friday, raised on Easter Sunday. He's heaven's child. He's the hope of the world with him wrapped around our lives, I want you to understand that you can feel that safeness, that security. The word hope is used some 52 times in the New Testament. One for each week. You can have hope every week of the year. Well, let's break down the dimensions of hope because the the definition of hope is really something that is invisible. You can't really grab a hold of it. 2 Corinthians 4.18 urges us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, it says, but on what is unseen. Romans 8.24 and 25 says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for something that he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, those two verses teach us that we're going to hold on to the rope of hope so that we can deal with and cope with this present life. We have to embrace, first of all, its past promises. In the Old Testament, remember, the Savior was promised. The Savior was promised over and over again. In Isaiah 64, 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God with us, Emmanuel. That's why we celebrate Christmas. After Jesus was born, we see this whole thing fulfilled. In Luke chapter 2, verse 38, a woman named Anna, when she sees the baby Jesus, she thanks and she speaks about heaven's child. And she says this, all who were looking forward to redemption... What things are you looking forward for this Christmas? See, they were looking for the Savior all these years, and finally he came. Not only look to the past, but also the present help. See, no matter what you're going through right now, I don't care what your life is, I I wouldn't even pretend to know what's going on in your life. No matter how much pain that may just be pummeling down upon you over and over again, no matter how much failure you're feeling... I want you to understand that you can count on God to help you right now, right here in this place. I, uh, uh, Psalm 46.1 says, God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Isn't that a great verse? God is an ever-present help. He's not just help in time of trouble, but he's an ever-present help. I mean, it's one thing to be able to help somebody, but be miles away from them, right? When you can't help. Have you ever been in that situation? I have. We've been in that situation with our, with our kids. Going through a hard time, and we're removed from them, and you want to be out helping, but you can't. You're not there. I mean, you can tell them nice things and try to comfort them, but you can't physically help them. Well, God is never removed from our situation. It says he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. David Jeremiah wrote a little book called A Bend in the Road. And in that little book, he explains how everyone sooner or later comes up against something unexpected, and unforeseen. For him, it was cancer. I mean, for you, it may be unemployment, it may be loneliness, it may be straying children away from the faith, it may be financial worries, maybe a relationship that ruptured. I don't know. But this is when Jesus, the hope of heaven, steps into our hurts. And he's willing to meet you there. Lamentations 3:25 says. That the Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. The key isn't to hope for something; the key is to hope in someone. Almost four years ago, a campaign was launched by our current president with the slogan, "What hope." And change. I don't know if a lot of people today are really feeling a lot of hope (laughs) in our current situation. That's not a slam on the president, that's just reality. Romans 5 4 says, tells us pain has a place in God's plan because suffering gives us the opportunity to persevere. And to change our character so that we end up having hope that doesn't disappoint. Psalm 25, 5 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. See, that's a promise directly from God. Maybe you're doubting God there this, here this morning. Maybe you're saying, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what you're saying sounds good, but uh, I don't know. Just a leap out there, a blind leap of faith. I don't know if I can do that. Right there it says, take it to the bank. No one whose hope is in you, in God, will ever be put to shame. I've never met a truly born-again Christian who had their life transferred from the, the darkness into the light and had their life transformed come back to me and say, you know what, I think I got the short end of the stick, I want my money back, I don't want to do this anymore. Never, I've never had one person come to me with that kind of attitude. Now, I've had a lot of people who claim to know Christ and did the whole religious thing and played the game of religion, went to church and prayed, and then, you know, they never really knew Christ. Because the Bible says in Matthew 7, there's going to be a lot of people that stand before Christ one day and say, hey, haven't we gone to church? Haven't we done this? Haven't we healed people? Haven't we given to the poor? Haven't we helped all these people? And Jesus is going to turn to them and he's going to say simply, you know what? Go away. I don't even know who you are. And yet they did that in his name, it says. So just having a cloak of religiosity about you, looking like you're spiritual, isn't good enough. We have to truly believe. God is there, not just in the past, but he helps us in the present. But also for the future. There's also a future element to hope that I want you to see. I reminded of a little cartoon I saw one day in the paper, and it was a Peanuts cartoon. And uh, Lucy and Linus are sitting in front of their TV set, and Lucy says to Linus, get me a glass of water. And Linus looks surprised and kind of asks, why should I do that? You, you never do anything for me. And Lucy responds, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. So Linus gets up, heads out into the kitchen, and a little captain over his head says, Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. <laughs> you know, at least Linus had his blanket, right? Uh, y- y- sometimes our senses scream that this is all there is. There's not a whole lot more going on in life. The sum total of life is our profession plus maybe our possessions and then when we die that kind of ends it all beloved that's not reality the bible says that this world is neither our home nor our hope the bible says that those who are wrapped in a relationship with jesus christ have the hope of heaven a confident assurance of god's promises Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. To hope means to wait. Galatians 5, 5 encourages us once again. He says, by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit righteousness for which we hope. I trust this morning the only place you have your hope anchored in is the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Did you know he's coming back again, by the way? He came at Christmas the first time, but the Bible says that he's coming back. And when the Scripture says he comes back, he's not coming back as Savior. He's coming back as Judge. For those who know Christ, Titus 2.13 2.13 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, what about decisions of hope? In closing, I remember reading one year they had a uh, government when all the mortgage problems were happening and everything, and a government official got on this news broadcast. And here's what he said. He said, you know, basically, the best you can do for your family is to call 1-800-995-HOPE. And that was supposed to hook you up with a government official that would miraculously help you with your mortgage payments and all your heartaches would go away. The only problem was that that number was incorrect. (laughs) It wasn't an 800 number, it was an 888 number. He misread it. So they had people calling this number, wanting hope, but they didn't get it. <laughs> we all want a little hope. But some of us think that somehow somebody's given us the wrong number. I want to give you the right number this morning. First of all, get wrapped up in the scriptures. Get wrapped up in the scriptures. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that has was written in the past was written to teach us, So that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I mean, maybe you're not even a believer here this morning. Maybe you haven't embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's okay. But you know what? Don't bypass God's word, which he wrote to you and to me. At least check it out. Pick it up and read it. Read about the life of Christ. Read about the Old Testament. See the prophecies fulfilled. Get wrapped up in the scripture. The Bible says that that the word of God is really the power that transforms the human heart. And secondly, get wrapped up in the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. That's what his name means, literally. Matthew 121 told us that because he will save his people from their sins... Beloved, we've all sinned before a holy God. There's not one person in this room that could honestly say, "You know what? I've never done anything wrong, Steve. I've never sinned at all. I've never stepped out of line. I'm perfect." The way to have hope is to have the Holy One in your life. Colossians 3 or Colossians 1:27 says, "Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory." He's that indescribable gift that God offers us. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh. God came down and put on flesh. See, that's the most unique quality about Christianity that makes it different from any other religion, that God became flesh. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus is the visible word of God. We call that the incarnation. The infinite second person of the Trinity who created all things according to John 1 became this soft little human baby in a manger. A literal collision of deity and humanity. And it had its full expression in Jesus, the Christ, when the infinite became that small little infant. The word became flesh and blood. One translation says this, and moved into our neighborhood. For 33 years, God moved into our neighborhood. He walked and he talked and he he sweat and he was hungry. One translation says that he made his dwelling among us, which literally means to pitch your tent you ever gone camping and you pick the right spot and you pitch your tent? You set up house there. You dwell there. I mean, it's, it's difficult to be private when you're camping. I mean, everybody basically in the campsite sees what you're doing. They hear what you're doing for the most part. To say that Jesus pitched a tent implies that he wants to be familiar with us. You don't try to go to a campground and say, oh, I just want to get away and I don't want to have anything to do with any people, because campgrounds are usually crowded with people. Well, if you want to do that, you can go up in the middle of nowhere and camp, but most people don't do that. They enjoy the camaraderie. He wants to be close. He wants a lot of interaction with us. He wants to wrap a blanket around us of his love. He desires that. Get get wrapped up in the Savior. And last, get wrapped up in salvation. Get wrapped up in salvation. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'm sure you have. In your car, you're driving, and the check engine light comes on. Right? What do you do? Most people do absolutely nothing. They just don't do anything. Yeah, it came on again. Are you going to take it? Well, well, get around to it, yeah. Oh, it went back off. I guess there's not a problem. Oh, it came back on. I even got so frustrated with one of my cars, I bought that little device that the mechanic has. The hook up underneath the dash, and you do the code, and you can clear it. So it doesn't come on anymore. See, the problem's still there. But the light's not on. The engine recycles itself and bam, you got a problem. See, most people do nothing at all when that light comes on. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you ever ignore the gauges in your own life? Do you ever have warning lights just flashing bright in your face? You know, God might be trying to get your attention. Maybe you're at a place where you realize that, and, and somehow you realize that, you know what, I need to, to grab a hold of this Savior and bring some hope into my life. There's a way you can do that. First of all, you just admit your sinfulness before a holy God. Ephesians 2.12 says that those who don't have heaven's child in their life are without hope and without God. 1 Chronicles 29.15 says this, Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Without the Savior, beloved, there is no hope. It's important to admit your hopelessness apart from Christ and to own your own sinfulness. Secondly, ask for help. So many times, especially as men, man, that just, that just kind of goes against the grain with us. I mean, I've driven miles and miles and miles out of, way, out of my way before I had my little <clears throat> GPS thing. And my wife would say, just stop and ask for direction." I'm not stopping. We'll find this. I have a good sense of direction. We've been on the road for an hour. Don't worry about it. But I'm not going to stop and ask some guy in a gas station only for him to tell me, oh, you got to buy a map. We'll find it. See, first of all, you have to admit your sinfulness. And then secondly, you have to be willing to ask for hope. The hope of heaven, Emmanuel, who is Jesus Christ, came to take away our sin. The Savior came to save us from our sins, but it's not automatic. You have to ask him to do it. If you want hope, you must cry out for help. The Bible says, like the the sinner that stood on the corner and cried out, Be merciful to, to me, God, a sinner. He gives hope to those who have first humbled themselves. Enough to ask for help. And then the last thing there, acknowledge Christ as your Savior. It's one thing to ask for help. It's another thing to acknowledge that the help has come. In Luke 2.11 it says, Today in the town of David has been born to you. You should write your name in there. To Sally, to Steve, to Bob. He is Christ the Lord. Another simple definition of hope is to trust. And it's time to trust Christ today because he has been born to you. He's a gift from God. If you need some hope in your life, it's got to come through the Holy One, the Christ. Life with Christ is an endless hope Life without Christ is really a hopeless end. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we ask this morning that as we gather here today, traditionally, Christmas is looked at as the moment when really time changed. It's when B.C. became A.D., And it's all because of God being born in a body, the incarnation, on that day. Today, that day, can be a day that can change you as well. By making Christmas personal. You can cry out to God right now in your own heart. And look forward to starting 2012 with not just your sins forgiven, but with a personal relationship with your creator, the one who created you, the one who is willing to care for you, comfort you, give you strength, give you wisdom, help you make the right decisions, So many people in today's world want to be their own savior. It's not going to work. You need to cry out to God. If you want to experience hope, then you must welcome the Christ to your world. Allow him to wrap himself around you so that when you don't know how to cope with what's going on, You can understand that Christ is your only hope. The song, the lyrics say, Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Father, we just pray that this Christmas would become a reality to all that hear the word of God, that hear the truth here this morning. And Father, that we would never lose hope in you and that we would leave here and go out into this lost and dying, sinful, sin-stained world with a message of hope, of forgiveness, and reconciliation with God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen.